Well, good morning. We're going to kind of end a three-week series that is, again, just the tip of the iceberg as it relates to the parables and the teachings of Jesus. If you've missed a couple weeks, I'll do some recapping. But one of the things that is so critical is to look at Jesus' great commission when he tells uh, all of his disciples to go and preach the good news and tell everybody that he's the king and spread the gospel. In the beginning of Jesus' public ministry, he walks about and says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And one of the reasons why it's so important to know that the gospel is the announcement, the good news of Jesus' kingship, is that it's something that has to be continually preached and talked about. We live in a world, and the world that the disciples lived in was similar in the sense that where they were going was full of kings and kingdoms. They were going out into Rome and going out into Greece, and they were gonna go to different places and city-states where there was different leadership and a different king named Caesar over most of the modern world. And Jesus says, you're going to go out into this world of kings and kingdoms, and you're going to announce that there is another king, a king that is the king of all kings, that is the Lord of all lords. And the reason why you have to keep on telling everybody that Jesus is king is because you're gonna forget that Jesus is king. And because there's gonna be an overlap of what the Bible calls the overlap of the ages, where there is existing worldly kingdoms and movements and powers, and the kingdom of God is going to override that or start to move over top of that kingdom. And so we live in a time where we have the overlap of the ages. The kingdom of the world, the kingdom of this, the systems of the thinking and the morality and ethic of the world and sometimes literal kingdoms. And then we have the kingdom of God that is being preached by those of us who believe that Jesus is the king of that kingdom. And you can understand, right? It, it's confusing. This man, he died, he resurrected to new life and he said, I'm the king, go tell everybody that I'm the king. That's the good news. Well, up until that point in human history and every time after that, anytime there's a king, when they die, that's the end of their kingship. For Jesus, he had this kind of movement and then he died and that was the end of his kingship until he resurrected to new life and they went, okay, these 500 people that saw him went, this is the king. He is the actual king. He died and so we have to go and tell all the other people that we have a king who is capable of resurrection. So we should want to follow him. And the world that we live in doesn't get that. And practically speaking, they don't see him. You know, we don't, where, where is he? Where's this king? The Bible says that he ascended and is in this space sitting on a throne. But that we are his ambassadors. So we're bringing the kingdom of God into the kingdom of this world. And there's an overlap of the ages. So we have darkness and we're called to be the light. 
So we're doing this series on the parables that lives in that context. That's the broad context. When Jesus came to this earth 2,000 years ago, him, him being here was the beginning of bringing the kingdom of God back on earth as it is in heaven. And when we look at Jesus' teachings, the parables, the Beatitudes, what we're looking at is we are looking at what happens when the kingdom arrives. And when the kingdom arrives, it will assert God's rule over the world, and the people who want to take on that form will also rule. We're, we'll, we'll, we'll do it. We'll say, okay, so the Beatitudes. So think about the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. You ever wonder like what that's really all about? It's about this. That's what it's about. You have a world that doesn't have people who long for peace. You have a world that's not full of mercy. You have a world that's not hungering and thirsting for righteousness. In the kingdom of God, you will see people that in that broken world, they hunger for peace. They hunger for righteousness. They bring it about. So the Beatitudes is a picture that Jesus is saying, as you go into this world and bring the kingdom into this kingdom, things will change and the kingdom of God will manifest on this earth. That's what we're looking at. So when Jesus is teaching the parables, and every parable is about the kingdom of God, about what he's doing in the world, if we don't understand the implications of that, then we will miss the melody of the message of the whole Bible. We'll miss like the whole thing because we don't understand how he's teaching. So, so learning the parables is huge. Now, I did make a giant assumption when I started this series, and that is that you will read the Gospels. That's the assumption. Because the way I'm going about teaching this is somewhat high level and conceptual, and I'm gonna dive into three specific parables today, but I'm still not going to fully exhaust them. And for you to see what I'm showing you, you are going to have to go on your own journey. The parables are mainly, actually all, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and there's 40 of them, and you know, there's different versions of them in all three, but there's about 40 of them total. And so what we looked at is week one, as we were talking about the parables, we said that the seed is the kingdom of God. It's, it's the truth, it's the gospel, it's the word of God, the seed. And what Jesus taught in his first parable in Matthew 13, which was a meta parable, a metaverse, it was that the condition of the soil determines whether the fruit will grow or not. So you have the seed of the word of God, and sometimes we think, well, God is just gonna show up and he's just gonna do it and everything's gonna happen in our world, but really what Jesus says, he says, I'm going to preach the word into this kingdom, all right? If it doesn't grow, it's because y'all aren't ready for it to grow. Y'all aren't preparing the soil. So the seed is perfect. It's the thing of God. It's the word of God. It's gonna do what it does. If we prepare or we get ready, we know there's an enemy, so we look for truth, and we talked about all that. If we prepare our hearts, then the seed will grow. So you might look at your world. And you might go, why is my boss that way? Or why is my office that way? Or why does my family operate that way? Or why was my past that way? Or you might look at stuff and you might go, you know, when we talk about the kingdom of God and we look at peace and goodness and mercy and blessing and joy and contentment or whatever we're looking for, long-suffering, the ability to, to manage the chaos, and we go, my space doesn't have that. Well, probably it's because there's some people in that space that haven't said, I crave the manifestation of God's kingdom in this world. 
And then the people that do, I mean, a lot of bosses don't care about that. They care about the bottom line. They care about getting in the black. And so then they take everybody to this awful place. But there are places that actually care about life and humanity. And when we see people care about life and humanity, we usually see some manifestation or growth that comes from the seeds of the kingdom of God. So basically the burden of wanting the kingdom, of knowing we need the word of God is a part of how the kingdom will grow now. It's an overlap of ages. And then last week we taught a little bit about the greatest news, that the, that the message that Jesus was teaching, Jesus taught the greatest news in the greatest way. He taught the greatest news, so we said that the, the parables were all about him announcing himself and his kingdom. So the good news is about him, not about you and me, but we're included. We're part of it. There's implications for us, but the messages that he's preaching are not for us. And this is actually what we're gonna spend time on today because one of the most dangerous things that people do with the Bible and with most literature is jump immediately to making it allegorical. You put yourself in it. And that's, that's not good interpretation. So we're gonna take some time today because it's the easy thing to do. And I'm not trying to, you know, I, I have had to learn this from people who are Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic scholars to understand what the text is saying, we have to understand something more about it before we just jump in and say, well, this is what that means. And with faith, that can get really dangerous. Because then you can say that something that didn't intend something at all means something for me, and you can imply that you're listening to God's word or even tell other people and abuse other people and say this is what God is saying, when in fact, all you've done is twist the narrative to fit the way that you want it to fit. So Jesus taught the greatest news. It's about him. You're included, but it's not about you. And then he taught it in the greatest way. And so we taught about how parables are indirect communication and how they're models. They're basically like, like um, puzzles. And he puts the puzzle in front of you. And he goes, and parable, by the way, means um, to the side, story to the side or to set along to the side. You know how we, if you grew up in church, parachurch, aside the church, Par, you know, uh, paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside. So a parable is just a story that you put next to your story. So you go, I'm trying to teach you something. Ah, let's consider it this way. And then you make, you make up a story that's about the story, and that's called indirect communication. Because instead of saying, you are the bad person, you leaders of Israel, you go, well, there was a king, and there were some servants, and there was the this. And then you can objectively look at the story and go, well, that person's wrong, and then go, oh, now maybe you're that person. So you kind of just taught yourself. So indirect communication is like a puzzle, like a maze, and Jesus would put these in front. And if you really desire to know the truth of it, then you'll, you'll kind of run it down. And then when you hear it, if you have a soft heart, it will illuminate. If you have a hard heart, it will agitate. You'll go, I don't like that story. So last week, or that truth, last week we looked at David, who was confronted in a very um, profound way by a prophet in the Old Testament about something he did that was wrong, and it was presented to him as a story, and he said, the person that did that awful thing is awful, and then the prophet goes, that was you in the story, and he, <gasps> and he learned, and so he learned. So this is one of these wonderful ways that makes Jesus consider, like, a considerably the greatest teacher of all time. A lot of people give um, you know, Socrates and the Socratic method, asking questions as one of the greatest ways to teach, answer with a question. Jesus would give a picture that was lots of questions, 
and take you on a maze of asking questions to try to figure out something that he was specifically trying to get at. So we're gonna look at when we say that Jesus' parables are all about the kingdom, um, what did the kingdom news mean? What are these parables all about? And, and this is somewhat oversimplified, but actually pretty straightforward that the parables are about three different things. And I'm just gonna overview. The parables, you can break them up into three different sections. There's uh, parables that are about the nature of the kingdom, the surprising nature. There's parables that are about the value system of the kingdom. And then there are parables that uh, present a crisis to the leadership of Israel. So those are the three things. You can break them all down into those three things. And before we look at those uh, three examples of those, of those types of communication, I wanna give us a little grid for how to interpret them. Because this is a big mistake that, again, people make. They make the message allegorical. They put themselves immediately in it. And the Bible does not present that way. The Bible is a message that had intention. It had an intention. It was a letter or a story. And this is what's hard about knowing what it's saying is in order for you to know what the Bible is saying, you can't just read it at face value. You have to, through historical study and context, understand not just what was said, but the intention of the author that wrote it. That is what it means for literal interpretation. A literal interpretation means you know the intention of the author. So intention of what they're trying to say is where we find meaning. Meaning comes from this is what that meant to those people that read it and what was being said about. Now, what we typically do in the church because we read in English is we jump to significance. We jump meaning and we read something that kind of we like or we're interested in it. And, and, there's, and there's a lot of good about just kind of talking about the scriptures and turning around and turning the gem and looking at the different colors and stuff as it comes through. But if you jump to significance and you say, this is what it means for me, instead of knowing what it actually meant objectively, you could potentially miss the entire purpose of the whole thing. And I would, the reason I bring it up is because with parables is what we do. We're reading a narrative that was written in Aramaic, Greek, Hebrew, and then we have a narrative story of a man that lived 2,000 years ago written by some contemporaries. They're telling a narrative story about a guy who walked around and told stories using parables. Very, very complex. Very difficult to go, what was the actual meaning of all of this? And so that's why I did this study on parables. What is Jesus actually saying? I figured, you know, we're a church and we worship Jesus. It'd be nice to know what he says. Um, so that's why we're doing. So what we're looking at with these three things is we're gonna go through three different types of parables, the surprising announcement of them, the upside-down value of the kingdom, and the, uh, the crisis that's presented, and we're gonna look at it through the lens of original meaning and then significance. So the first one is the surprising way the kingdom is coming the surprising way that the kingdom is coming. Most, um, uh, uh, when Jesus is talking about the nature of the kingdom, he presents it in a way that is frustrating to those who hear it. Because what he says the kingdom will do, how it will show up is the opposite of what they want. When Jesus is saying that the kingdom of God is here, when you hear the kingdom of God is here, it's enough to make you drop your work, leave whatever person you're with, and go and hear. 
because the kingdom of God, Jesus saying the kingdom of God is here, what they're wanting is where are the horses, where are the chariots, where are the swords, when, are, when is the kingdom gonna march in here, defeat these Romans, and give us our land back and give us our freedom back. And what Jesus does, he goes, oh, but the kingdom of God is not like that. In fact, what he says in a bunch of different ways is that the kingdom of God is gonna be slower and smaller than you hoped. Which can kind of, again, it's a parable, the way he tells it, and we'll look at it, but you can see how when people want something a certain way, if it doesn't get delivered or talked about the way they want it, they can just walk away. Because if you're wanting a kingdom, you're wanting deliverance, which of course you are, and the king shows up in the historical kind of legitimacy and historical narrative of Jesus all the way leading up to his point in time, and he says the kingdom of God is, and then we'll read this, he says this, he says he told them another uh, parable, the kingdom of heaven, this is Matthew 13, is like a mustard seed, <laughs> which a man took and planted in his field. Now imagine if you're a farmer and you left your field to come and hear this new guy talk about the kingdom of God, and he says, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. And you're like, no, this is not okay. Like we want, can we, can it, you mean like a mustard seed that's an iron sword? You mean like a mustard seed that is a bunch of chariots? No. He looks at them, he goes, here's the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, though it is the smallest of all seeds. Oh, yet when it grows, it is the largest of garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds come and perch on its branches. So, the meaning what Jesus is saying is the way the kingdom of God is being presented and brought into the world is different than you thought. It starts with me. I'm the king, and I have to do this thing. I'm on a mission here to defeat the powers that rule the powers of Rome, which is sin and death and darkness. So on the cross, Jesus defeats those powers because they give him all they've got, and he resurrects. So death has no hold on him. So now he's defeated the powers of sin and darkness. And then he says, now you go tell everybody that I am the key to defeating the powers of sin and darkness. I did it. And if you're in me, you're joined to me. And what happened to me is going to happen to you and happen to the world. So the movement of the kingdom is a band of a bunch of like 12 guys and six girls that are following Jesus around and then 50 other people that are marginally following him around and then he gets crucified and they all scatter then he raises to new life and then 500 people see him and he's like, go tell everybody that I'm the king. Now this is 2,000 years ago and they have to walk on ro roads that Rome made in order to tell the message of the kingdom of God. That's gonna take a long time. It's gonna take a long time for people to hear that message but here's the thing about the message. You know if you're a farmer, when you plant that seed, it's gonna grow and it's gonna blossom and it's gonna take shape and it's gonna become something more than you thought. But it starts off small and it's slow growing, but it's true. He's saying this plant of the kingdom will blossom into deep roots and it will have strength and constitution and it will be something that's massive. And those of us here in the church today are living on these branches of this 
kingdom that took a while to build, but it's still here. It's 2,000 years old if you look at the kingdom of God from the time Jesus inaugurated it. And we're here, man. We're in it. Now, that does not mean that your whole life is going to be full of, like, if someone, this is what people will do. Here's, here's inappropriate significance. Well, you know, sometimes things just take a long time. you got to trust the Lord. It's like, okay, that doesn't mean they always take a long time. With God, they don't always take a long time. With the kingdom of God, they did. But there's, there's times in the Bible where Jesus like, snaps his finger and it happens like that. There's a story in the Bible where there's a storm and Jesus is like, stop, and the storm stops. So, so we're not just gonna use that to say to somebody that this is the way it always is. But here's what we could say. Here's significance. God does not operate the way that we want him to. There's significance. Now, general enough, without taking a specific example and saying, here's what applies to you, you don't have enough faith, it'll take a long time, and kind of becoming almost abusive in the misusing of what the meaning was, because the meaning is the kingdom of God is gonna grow, it's gonna be slow, it's gonna start out small, but it will, in fact, become true. Now, what does that mean for us? God did this differently than we wanted. God does stuff differently than we want him to. So here's how this can have significance for your life. You may have an idea of the way God works, right? The, the nation of Israel had an idea of the way that Jesus would work. The leaders of Israel, the people who knew the scriptures better than you and I. And he comes along and says, you missed a major theme about the seed thing. Because this is gonna take longer and be you know, slower than you thought and smaller at first. It's just a band of rebels from Jerusalem. So... What does this mean for us, right? Maybe the way we think God does his thing is not the way it is. So you think, well, I know that. I know God operates in different ways. But don't think about that. Don't think about it conceptually. What do you think is the way God works? Maybe that's wrong. The idea is we put our faith in a God who operates in a way that is not always within our liking. We don't always like it. It doesn't feel like it's right. But we know it is. He's doing what he does. So we have the surprising, slow, small way that the kingdom came and how God significantly doesn't always operate the way we want to. The second brand of parable is one that talks about the upside down nature of the value system of the kingdom of God. The upside down nature. And there's two particular ways that he rewrites and and twists everything about what we value upside down. The one that we're gonna look at is in the value system of forgiveness. Forgiveness. Jesus changes the way forgiveness works. He changes the value system of the nation of Israel. He comes to the nation of Israel and they have a value system of who is forgiven and who's allowed in and if you think about the value system of the nation of Israel, you might consider that there's a law that has something to do with who's in or out of a circle. There's a circle. It's not necessarily, there is honor, shame, and hierarchy, but mainly what you wanna think about is more horizontally. Okay, there's people who are in because they are Israelites, because they keep the law, because they haven't sinned or whatever you have, and then there are people who are out. And the nation of Israel says, you're out unless you qualify according to our value system which means that you've made something of yourself, you're doing the right thing, you came from the right parents. 
So then Jesus shows up and he goes to a Pharisee's house and he's sitting at a Pharisee's house. And while he's in this Pharisee's house, a woman who is known for sin, she is outside of the circle of the Israelite leadership. She's not allowed in it. She's broken uh, cultural laws, literal Old Testament laws, laws of cleanliness, and she's not allowed in. Now, Jesus is a rabbi, and the Pharisees are just one removed from that. They're the leaders of Israel. And she walks into the house, and she washes Jesus' feet and breaks perfume on him and touches his, his feet. This is against the law. And she then cries because there's something about her that recognizes the, the wonderful ability to be proximate to Jesus. So she weeps, and then it says she even wipes uh, her tears with her hair. And they have this conversation, and the Pharisee goes, how are you letting her do this? She is a sinful woman that's not allowed in our circle. You're letting her touch you? This is a scandal if you were to see this. And then Jesus says this, to apparently a Pharisee named Simon. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. Oh, come on, come on. He's sitting there, there's, there's a woman, I mean, maybe she's a prostitute. She's the kind of person that we just go, ah, oh, you know, like, yeah. Like even in our society, it's like if you were walking around with that person, everyone would be like, what are you doing? <laughs> You would feel uncomfortable. You would feel like you should feel uncomfortable. Something. This is like part of the billboard reality of the nation of Israel. You do not associate with this woman. And Jesus goes, let me tell you something. And he uses a parable. I just think it's so funny, actually. I have something to tell you. Oh, tell me. Two people owed money. It's just funny. Okay, we're talking about this woman. Two people. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them, critical line in the parable, neither of them had the money to pay it back. Neither of them had the money. One owed more, one owed less, neither could pay. It didn't, it, so it essentially didn't matter how much it was because neither of them could pay it. So he forgave the debts of both. Now, which one of them will love him more? And... He goes, well, the one that was forgiven more. And Jesus goes, you've judged correctly. And then he goes off on the Pharisee. And he basically says, you know, I came into your house and you didn't sit down with me. You didn't wash my feet. You didn't give me perfume. You didn't cry. She did. She did. You didn't. And then he says this, therefore I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little loves little. Jesus' earlier line about the ability to pay off the debt is the leveler of this. Jesus' message to the Pharisee is that you both owe the same amount. And she recognizes it and you don't. Every person is a sinner, and every person falls short of this. In the context, she was more. But he's going, neither of you could pay it off. You think because you're like the Israelite leader that that like precludes you from being able to, to do all these things? No, you, you are guilty, man. 
You can't pay it off either, dude, even though you owe a little less. And then he basically summarizes this whole thing with saying, you live in a world where how much you make and how much you matter in society puts you in the circle. And Jesus says, in my kingdom, how much you've been forgiven puts you in the circle. It's how much you recognize who the king is and your need for the king. And he, he flips the value system. You think how much money. You think how much prestige. You think how much perfectly living puts you in. In my kingdom, it's a person who knows how much they need God. And by the way, you and her needed the same amount. She gets it and you don't. Whoo! It changes the value system. Changes the value system. The same problem, the other parables, they're about forgiveness or they are about people and bringing people who are outside of your culture into your culture. The, the parable of the Good Samaritan is about changing value systems. It's about racism. It's not about being friendly to your neighbor. It's about understanding that the person you hate can be better than you. It's just, whoa! I, I don't even let them in, and according to God, like, they're as good as me? Whoa! It's a value switch. Jesus is radically with the kingdom of God saying, this is the way I want planet Earth to work. This is the society that I have. I want all to come in here. I want to forgive and love and have everybody here. That's what I want for my kingdom. So in the matter of meaning, we talked about that. Not how much you make of yourself or how much you make, but how much you've been forgiven. That's God's value system. Forgiveness, then, when significance is talked about, is one of the ways the people of God imitate Jesus. Forgiveness is one of the ways that the people of God imitate the arrival of the kingdom. The people who are people of forgiveness are Jesus' people. Jesus' people are people of forgiveness. N.T. Wright does this beautiful illustration about forgiveness. He says, if you're like a sheep in a pen, brilliant indirect communication, you're like a sheep in a pen, and you need forgiven, and God offers you forgiven, you open the door, and he brings in forgiveness. And he says, Christians never close the door. Christians never close the door. He said, you can't open the door to receive then close it when it's time to send it out. That's what Christians do. Now again, even Jesus in Matthew 18 says that forgiveness does not always mean reconciliation fully. You may not be able to reconcile. You may never be able to trust. But when the kingdom of God has taken root in your life, you see yourself on an evil, on an evil playing, uh, evil, on a level playing field off of the evil onto the loving playing field where you, you know I've been forgiven much and I'm gonna forgive. It, was, it came in to the, to the pen. I'm letting it out. This is what we do and it's recognizing that truth. So meaning God's kingdom changes value systems. What we think matters doesn't matter to God the way we thought it did and for us, we probably need to be the kind of people that see Jesus the way that, he, that see people the way that Jesus did. Forgive them. See them as forgiven and have that end up in our life. But it's important. That this is the hardest one to see the difference between meaning and significance because forgiveness is so obvious. We need to forgive. But in the kingdom of God, in, in the system, in the city, in the way that it works, the value system is different. 
that, over, that overarching, overlapping system is that in a place that doesn't forgive, you have a bunch of people who start to. That's God's kingdom. And then the last one, which is the most obvious way to see this kind of uh, difference between significance and meaning or meaning and significance is crisis. Jesus shows up to the nation of Israel, the leaders of Israel, because there is a big decision for them to make. There's a big decision for them to make. God is going to allow Rome to destroy the nation of Israel if the leadership doesn't turn to King Jesus. He knows that they are in trouble. He knows that they have not received him as king. And he knows that while he is king riding in on a donkey and he weeps over the city, he weeps because he knows you guys are gonna be destroyed. And only a couple generations later, the whole city of Jerusalem is destroyed. 70 AD, Rome comes and just completely destroys it. Rips down the temple, the whole thing. And he's weeping because he knows that if you embrace him as king, that that doesn't have to happen, but he knows that they're not going to. And the reason he knows they're not going to is because the way that they're not going to is through some transformation that takes place in their heart, which can't happen until the cross happens and people understand who God is and we start to have our world reordered by the movement of King Jesus. So he knows they're not gonna do it. So there's this great parable where there's a decision for Israel to make whether we're gonna follow Jesus or not. And his parables are prodding at that. He tells this great story about a, a landowner who makes a vineyard, and he's, he's already hearkening back to Isaiah 5, because in Isaiah 5, there's this vineyard maker, and there's these stinky grapes, and they make these grapes. And, and so they make these grapes, and then the landowner goes away, and then he sends people to collect from, from the profits of the grapes. This is in uh, Matthew 21. And when he sends the first person to collect the profits, they they beat him up or something like that and throw him out. And then when they send the next one over, they beat him up and throw him out. And then, he, and then the owner is like, well, then I'm gonna send my son. Certainly they won't beat up my son. Well, when he sends his son, his son goes in and, uh, and the people that have the, the vineyard think the dumbest thing they could possibly think. They think, let's kill the son. It says it in the text. Let's kill the son and get the inheritance for ourselves. Dumbest, I mean, imagine that. This is the nation of Rome going, let's kill the king and have the kingdom anyway. What? You kill the king and you're not getting the kingdom. You're not gonna get it. Oh, let's kill the son and then steal his money? You think the father's gonna say, well, you killed my son, you can have my vineyard. That's what, that is how delusional Rome is and how much they don't understand the nature of God's kingdom. So then he takes it and he switches the metaphor and he's using a play on words because in Hebrew, the word for son is ben and then the word for stone is aben. And so he switches it from the son who goes to the vineyard to the leaders who are building a house with stones. And he says this, Jesus said to them, have you ever read in the scriptures, the stone the builders rejected has become the corner stone or the Son has become the Son of God. The Lord has done this, and it is a marvelous in your eyes, and it is marvelous in your eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to people who will produce fruit. 
So the nation of Israel, this is a little bit about the talents we talked about a couple weeks ago. The nation of Israel has Jesus, and they, they have him there, and they toss him to the side. It's literally like if you were building a building, this is what he's saying, there were people building a building and they were in the quarry and they were looking for the cornerstone. They were looking for the best stone that's, that's big enough and fits the dimensions of the house that we're building. We're looking for the one, the chief cornerstone that sets in motion all the different stones, keeps everything aligned and keeps it strong and gives it a great constitution. And there's the perfect one. And according to any independent uh, stone mason builder, they'd go, that's the cornerstone. Like that is the one you would use. And the nation of Israel, or these builders, went, eh, and they chucked it aside, and they picked a much lesser, cracked version, and they tried to build their house on that. And Jesus says, you, you rejected me, so your kingdom is gonna fall. So that's the meaning. The meaning is Jesus shows up to the nation of Israel and says, you guys have a decision on your hands. You will be destroyed by Rome unless you make me your king. And they decide, to be destroyed by Rome. And they reject the sun, they reject the cornerstone, and it's such a marvelous play on words because then every stone of Herod's temple gets destroyed. It all topples down because you didn't make Jesus the cornerstone of your literal kingdom. So what is the meaning for this? The meaning is Israel will reject the king and be brought to ruin. The significance is, how about this? Any kingdom other than his will fail. Any kingdom, anything in your life and my life that we worship, and this is the thing, a lot of times we don't know, right? We don't, we don't know we're worshiping. If you haven't taken the time to say, I am, and every day, right? This is why prayer and reading and trusting God and focus even for five minutes every day is so important because you can so easily not worship Jesus. You can so easily not make him your king. You can so easily not be a part of the societal reformation that Jesus came to bring about. So easily and be a part of a different kingdom. So it's important to every day go, God, I wanna, you know, I wanna be a good dad for you. You know, I wanna be a good like salesperson for you. Like I wanna like honor you and do it in a wise and ethical way. And I wanna worship you and bring about glory to you. I wanna make a building or you know, lead a classroom or or help handicap people or whatever it is. And just I wanna do it in such a way that the way I do it brings glory to you. Because you're my king, so I want to do it for you. I, I, that's what I want to do. I want to bring glory to you. I want to do some, something with such excellence, and in my mind, I'm doing it because I'm made in the image of God. And God is a creator, and he does things well. So then he said, now you do something well, and I do it so well that I'm like, God, look, I'm doing like you. And I do it for you, and I know that you gave me the power, and I know you gave me the facility, and I know you gave me the energy, and I know you gave me the ingenuity, because you are God, and you made me, and I should be worshiping you and not worshiping myself. And then when you realize that, you know, if I am worshiping anything else, money, it will destroy me. If I am actually focused and following anything else, sex, it will ruin my life. If I am giving my time, energy, and treasure to something else, power, it will ruin me. Because that's what Jesus came to defeat on the cross. And the kingdom of God came to bring about a new way of living. The parables are about the movement of the kingdom of God. And every one of us has to know, at least in a significant way, whatever we worship besides Jesus, whatever kingdom that's set up, it will fall. 
it will fall and the kingdom of God will remain forever. And so be careful what you worship. Be mindful, make a decision. Jesus stepped onto this planet and he said the kingdom of heaven is at hand and it's gonna take some time to grow but it's gonna grow big and it should change all of our values and it does. And here we are trying to worship him and him alone. So are we gonna be the light or not? That's the summary of the parables. As you read them, just go through and think, is this a parable about the surprise? Is this a parable about value system? Is this a parable about crisis? I'm gonna kind of start to give you a little bit of a read into them and try to ask the question, what does this mean before what you say what it means for me? One other example, and I'll close this down. This is a good one to end on. Um, at this church, we have this great person who works here. His name is Lopez Davis. Anybody know Lopez? He's a great singer. He does a lot of our graphic design, social media, and uh, he's a photographer. He leads our photographer team. And I told a story that about a year ago or so, he suffered from a type A aortic dissection, which means he had this like explosion in his aorta and he had emergency open heart surgery and he got a new valve and part of his aorta replaced with a synthetic tube. And then in November, we went to Cleveland and they said, you need another open heart surgery. So we, we did that. that, that was in June. And we went to Cleveland and he went to Cleveland and he had an open heart surgery by the, literally the best doctor for this. He wrote the book on the surgery, literally. People come from all over. The guy was like, I did one from a guy from Korea and Russia this past week. This guy's the best in the world. And so Lopez is in really good hands. And then he was there for about a week and he came back, and, uh, and then about two days after he came back, he uh, texts me, and he says, we're gonna need to go to the ER. And so now the meaning of that is he just had an open heart surgery. Something could go really wrong. The significance of it for me was, I might be driving to Cleveland again, because I've been helping Lopez but do you see, like, when we interpret these things, right, like, we have to know, like, there's the original purpose of what it means. What's the big idea? The big idea is the poor guy has had now three open heart surgeries in a year, in a month, 13 months. That's the story. If I take the significance and make it about how I had to help him one day to Cleveland, because that's what it means for me, I'm missing the grander narrative. And so Lopez ended up, after having an open heart surgery a year ago, he now has had two more open heart surgeries and he had two open heart surgeries in two weeks. And he got these hearts because he had two open heart surgery, but he's at home, he's doing better, so we need to like pray for him and be thankful for him and know that he's a part of this family you guys could maybe send him a note on Instagram if you find him or something and just say, praying for you, Lopez. But as we close this down, um, I wanna encourage you, read the parables. Look for the melody. Find the message. Find the meaning. And, uh, and then go to significance. 
I'm gonna pray in a second, but I just wanna encourage all of you. Over the next five weeks, we're gonna have three different speakers uh, of our team. You know, John and Carmen and Bryce are gonna be speaking over the next five weeks, and I, I need some time off. Like, I'm excited, I need it. And you know, like, I, for those of you, you just wonder, like, how does this all work? It's constantly baking, I'm constantly working. So in order for me to get a break, I have to take more than three weeks off because otherwise, if I take one week off, I'm already thinking about the next week. So I need a break, and, um, but you need to understand that's not a break for our church. You know, most people love, we have the greatest team. Like, you wanna hear from these people anyway. I mean, John's gonna do a series on the Trinity. It's gonna be rich. Carmen's gonna talk about how uh, important group life is here, which is the actual, like, practical lifeblood of our church is community. I don't know what Bryce is gonna talk about yet, but it's gonna be amazing. I don't, I'm sure it's gonna be great. And so I don't want, just because I'm taking a break for you to think, oh, I don't have to do church. Like, we need to, like, one of the things about even Jewish history and the way that they studied is they would all read the same passage and then all have different teachers talk about it in different ways. It's so healthy for you to hear from different voices. So healthy. So consider that it's like, just an opportunity to continue to grow and, and have more um, invested in you. And, um, and then with that, I'm gonna say a prayer and we can, we can go home. God, thank you so much for the parables and just the, the miraculous way that you taught, the, the things that you said, the implications of them, the, they're massive and life-changing and life-giving and God, help us to, to be fair and honest with what we read and to allow what you were saying to live and exist the way it should and then, and then move from there. God, we thank you that um, you love us so much to move into this space, to teach us, to look us in the eye, to die on a cross, to resurrect and give us the beginning, God, of new creation. I pray, God, that we would all have our hearts ready to receive whatever word of God you speak to us through the scriptures and through church and time alone with you. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Love you guys. We'll see you soon. See you next week. You'll be seen. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for watching. We want to hear from you. We want to hear your prayer requests. We want you to text the number below and say hi. Thank you so much for watching.